so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC podcast. This week we'll feature a talk from Trip Lee. Social media is an incredible gift and, you know, we've seen it even mobilize and, and kind of catalyze people in some of these recent racial issues in the U.S. But my generation can easily fall into the trap of thinking that it's enough for me to just share good things on my social media. Then when Russell Moore tweets something good, like, ooh, that's good, retweet. I did my part. Or to retweet a good article by Fabidian Yabwile, but to retweet activists and preachers' quotes and blog posts on these matters, it's not enough to stop there. We have to actually take action beyond that. And you know, that even goes for us who are here today. It would be a shame if we thought, man, we got together and talked about racial reconciliation. Check that out. Recent events have left the people of the United States reeling and hurting. Violence and bloodshed has erupted on our streets, revealing the racial tension that still exists today. In 2015, the ERLC hosted a leadership summit to address the topic of racial reconciliation. Rapper and pastor Trip Lee gave a message called Rise, calling the next generation to racial reconciliation. We hope you're encouraged by this message. How's everybody doing? I'm going to pray one more time. I know we just prayed, but we can never pray enough. I'm going to pray one more time and we'll get started. Father, we come before you again in Jesus' name. And Father, we come before you because you're the sovereign ruler in control of all things, including this time, Father. So we pray it would be helpful that you'd use your word, that you would encourage us from it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this evening, I've been asked to speak about millennials and racial reconciliation. Uh, Some of you may be wondering who let their little brother on the stage. I promise I am a grown man. I got a wife and kids and all of that. (laughs) I feel privileged to stand on the stage this evening and serve as a a part of this. Uh, And really excited to talk about this topic as a rapper Uh, As an artist, I do music, and so I've been a part of a lot of concerts over the years. They have lots of millennials at these concerts and people of all ages, and I've seen that music really has a way of uniting people. There's some concerts that maybe I've done where there's only one type of person. That'll happen sometimes. So maybe I'll be part of a concert where it's all kind of soccer moms and white suburban teenagers. Or maybe I'll do one where it's kind of all black urban college students. Or maybe I'll do one where it's all uh, white Southern Baptist pastors with khakis. (laughs) Just playing that concert never happened. That's never happened. That's never happened. (laughs) But there are many concerts I've done 
uh, where there's just a wide array of different kinds of people, young and old and black and white and uh, all kinds of people. And people who observe it and they see it, they marvel at the diversity. They say, I've never come to a concert where there's so many really different kinds of people. And I love that. And I think it's a really good thing. But let me say this. While I think it's cool and wonderful that you see that at a concert, I don't think it's as impressive as some people may think it is. Because every day all around the country, there are concerts like that where there are all different kinds of people. There's honestly nothing very unique about getting different kinds of people to gather together. Happens all the time at concerts and sporting events and all different kinds of things. And when that artist or that sports team is the center of attention, then the people there are united by their love for that music or that sports team. They're brought together by that. But those people there, they don't really have to be unified. They don't really have to get along. They really just got to tolerate each other for one night. And so while that's a really cool thing, brothers and sisters, that is not the kind of unity that we're aiming for today with this summit. That kind of unity isn't lasting. That kind of unity isn't that substantial. That kind of unity doesn't really produce anything because those people don't really have to serve one another. And it doesn't really point to the lasting glory and gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kind of unity that we're after is a lot more lasting and substantial than just one night. The kind of unity we're after is a lot more loving than that. The kind of unity we're after cannot be produced by a common musical interest or because you're from the same city and you like the same sports team. The kind of unity we're after can only be produced by the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of unity that we're after today. And of course, that's why this summit is called the gospel in racial reconciliation. John eleven fifty one, the high priest, speaking of the high priest, it says he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's the kind of unity we're after. People who are diverse and different and many, those many people becoming one people. That's the kind of unity we're after. Our end goal is not just getting black people and white people in the same building. That's not the end goal. Jay-Z can do that. Our goal is to proclaim the peace and unity that Jesus has already accomplished at the cross and to proclaim that and to call all different kinds of people into that peace, to enjoy that peace, to embrace that peace, to experience the fullness of that peace and to see that peace extend and overflow to our relationships. But that can only come through the gospel. Now, when we talk about millennials, of course, the millennial generation is people born uh, from the early 80s uh, on through to the 2000s. And we millennials are really good at that easier first kind of unity that I talked about. What about that deeper, more substantial, more difficult kind of unity? Well, if you're here today and you are a millennial as I am, then I want you to listen to think about ways that we can do this. If you're here and you're not a millennial, a.k.a. you're old, uh, then you can listen. <laughs> then you can listen. Okay, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch <laughs> Then you can listen for how to encourage the millennials in your life. And, and honestly, there's not some unique pill that millennials need to swallow. We all have the same truths from Scripture that we need to look to in order to produce this in us. 
But there are going to be some unique challenges and obstacles when we start to think about millennials. I want to point out just three real quick obstacles to this racial reconciliation among millennials. Number one, some millennials think that racial tension is our grandparents' problem. Because, of course, things are very different than they once were. I mean, when I talk to my grandfather, who's about 90 years old, he thinks he's about 50 years old, but he's about 90 years old. And I talk to him about some of the things that he dealt with. I literally cannot believe that he was able to make it through that. And even when I would talk to my father about uh, protesting in the civil rights movement, I talked to my mom remembering not being able to get into hotels. I've never experienced anything quite like that. That kind of legal segregation doesn't exist anymore. So, of course, things have changed. And so, so many millennials assume that we're in such a different time that this conversation about racial tension is no longer even a relevant conversation. One rapper recently said, there's no racism now with the internet. Racism was, you know, probably like five generations ago. Racism been over. It's the old people that keep holding on to it. And this is what many millennials think. They think, hey, we're in this post-racial society. There's all these interracial marriages now. And, of course, we got a black president now. It's all in the past. But it's not true. Sadly, a lot of studies have shown that while millennials do give more lip service to equality, that we're basically just as prejudiced as our parents were. Yet we think we're post-racial. So that's a dangerous combination. Just as prejudiced, but think that none of it exists. And of course, recent events like this racist chant at this Oklahoma fraternity show us racism is alive and well in our generation. But sadly, unless it's blatant, we like to deny its existence. So, yes, racial prejudice is more subtle, but that does not mean that it's any less sinful. It just means it's a little more sneaky than before. And that can make it trickier to fight. So that's that's one of the obstacles with millennials. The second uh, obstacle with millennials and trying to call them to fight for this racial reconciliation is that some of us millennials think that social media activity is enough. Social media is an incredible gift. And, you know, we've seen it even mobilize and, and kind of catalyze people in some of these recent racial issues in the U.S. But my generation can easily fall into the trap of thinking that it's enough for me to just share good things on my social media. Then when Russell Moore tweets something good, like, ooh, that's good, retweet, I did my part. Or to retweet a good article by Fabidian Yabwile, but to retweet activists and preachers' quotes and blog posts on these matters, it's not enough to stop there. We have to actually take action beyond that. And, you know, that even goes for us who are here today. It would be a shame if we thought, man, we got together and talked about racial reconciliation. Check that off. This would be a colossal waste of our time if it didn't change anything about our lives when we get back home. The point of conversation and proclamation is that we would respond to God's word with worship and obedience and with love. It's not enough to listen or to retweet what scripture's called us to do. Third thing, obstacle with millennials is some millennials don't think that God's word is really sufficient in our day. So, you know, we live in a day and age where the Bible's not respected as it once was. And because of that, our own confidence in Scripture is shrinking. So people may think, in Dr. King's day, you listen to his speeches, he was quoting Scripture. That was different, right? The Bible was more respected. And yes, the church was on the forefront. That was different. It's more respected. What we really need is a more inclusive message. And anyway, how's a message supposed to really make a real difference? 
We don't need more Christian proclamation. We just need action. As if proclaiming the gospel is not an action. We definitely need more than just preaching, but we cannot abandon preaching the gospel or we'll only have that kind of light momentary unity that we talked about earlier. So those are three quick obstacles I think that we face with millennials and racial reconciliation. So the question is, of course, what are we to do? And I want to give three simple solutions. And I think all three solutions speak to all three of those obstacles. But the main thing I want to press home, if you don't remember anything I say, please remember this. Only the gospel produces the kind of unity that we're after. So solution number one, preach the gospel of reconciliation. I know that sounds very obvious and simple, but it's just way too important for us to assume and to look over. I just moved to Atlanta, Georgia to help plan a new church. But for the last four years, I've been at a church in D.C. on staff there. And during my time there, I I was able to see the church really grow tremendously in diversity. And it was a really beautiful thing to see because there were more and more black members and Chinese members and older and younger members. And it was really cool to see a baptism and to see people waiting to be baptized. And it looks like the United Nations up there. I love that. And I love to hear people say, well, you know what? I was an atheist. You know what? My family was Buddhist. You know what? I grew up kind of in a Christian home, but didn't trust you. And to see all of these people get baptized, it was a beautiful thing to see. It was not by any means a perfect diversity, but it was beautiful to see. And I think it happened not because our church spent most of our time talking about racial reconciliation, but because we spent most of our time talking about the very message of reconciliation. When we ask ourselves why diversity happens, I think we see many clues in Scripture. John 12, 32, Jesus says, but when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Of course, Jesus is talking about when he dies on the cross and he would draw all men to himself. He didn't say some kinds of men, but all men. He doesn't discriminate it. And the way the Apostle John uses the word all, it doesn't mean every single person, but it means all peoples, more than just Israel, but all other nations as well. God created diverse peoples and Jesus died to bring diverse peoples to himself. And this is at the heart of our conversation here. The thing that separates us ethnically, racially, is sin. The root of racism is sin, and Christ has already dealt sin a death blow. Sin has already been defeated in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So we have to proclaim that message. Otherwise, we're going to waste our time trying to create some different kind of unity rather than the one that the Lord Jesus literally shed his blood to give us. Relations 5 says Jesus purchased for God people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And this has been God's plan all along. And we, as his ambassadors, get to proclaim it. Do not abandon the message of reconciliation. Only the gospel can create this kind of unity. And we millennials need the same gospel that everybody else does. The only one that can produce that very deep unity. Solution number two, we have to fight for gospel love and understanding. Fight for gospel love and understanding. We're all very familiar with the words of Jesus in John 13. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I wonder if Jesus wants us to love one another. Makes it clear. 
This love he talks about is not a romantic love. It's not a just fuzzy in your heart love. This love he talks about here is a holy affection for someone and an unselfish commitment to their good. We should have this holy affection for one another. We should be committed to uh, helping each other to know Jesus and to grow more and to flourish, that every interaction among us would uh, be characterized by love. But he doesn't just say love one another. He says to love one another like he loved us. Christ who became poor for us, who endured a sinful world for us, who laid his life down for us. And he says we should love each other in a similar way. And that's how people will know that we're his disciples. And that's a high bar for us. It's a little bit intimidating. Scripture puts more flesh on it, saying we should bear one another's burdens, be compassionate to one another, consider others better than yourself, encourage one another daily, pray for one another, love one another as brothers. That is a serious kind of love. But here's the thing. Why I say fight for gospel love and understanding? Because if we're going to love one another, we have to know one another. We have to understand each other. How could I possibly bear my brother's burdens? If I have no idea what my brother's burdens are, how could I possibly be compassionate towards my brother if I have no idea what's going on in his life that demands my compassion? Understanding each other helps us to love one another well. A couple of years ago, I was having a conversation with a white friend of mine, very close friend. We were having a brotherly, mushy love type moment. It's like, man, you so godly. No, you so godly. God bless you. No, God bless you. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Just one of those kind of moments. (laughs) And here's what he said to me. He said, to me, you're just my friend Tripp. I don't even see you as black. He said, you're just my friend Tripp. I don't even see you as black. Now, I deeply appreciated what he was trying to communicate to me. He was trying to say, you know what? I, I don't treat you any differently than I do my other friends. But I think the way he said it was unhelpful. I think the way he looked at it was a little bit unhelpful. That would be like me saying to one of my single friends, you know what, Johnny, you know, I don't see you as single, Johnny. I don't even notice that you're single, matter of fact. And the main problem with that is that brother's single. (laughs) And many of his struggles and desires and challenges are going to have something to do with the fact that he's single. And so I encourage my friend not to only mainly see my blackness every time he talks to me, but also not to pretend like it's not there because it is and it does affect my life. Some of us don't have to think very much about our ethnicity in our daily lives, and that's fine. But there are others of us that do. And I can only speak as myself in my black experience. I can't speak for everybody. But there is an extra burden that myself and other blacks have to carry. The burden of knowing the oppressive history in our country, that blacks weren't considered full people. Knowing that if I pull out my wallet, there are dudes on my dollar bills that own black people like they were property. Knowing that racism still exists, being a recipient of that racism and an awareness of that being a burden in somebody's life, that has to change the way that you love them. You can't ignore that. There have been many times when things have been assumed about me that are not true just based on my appearance. Many occasions when people have assumed I'm a criminal. I can't count the number of times I've walked in a store and someone has assumed that I was going to steal. Had to do point to the Blackberry on my hip and assumed it was a gun and tried to kick me out of his store. And mind you, at this time, I'm like 12 years old with a mini fro and braces. Like, I do not look threatening, bro. (laughs) 
Many times I had college professors assume I was dumb and uneducated and I couldn't have written the paper that I wrote. I remember being like eight years old and a friend saying to me, your sister's kind of pretty for a black girl. As if black is less beautiful. I had cops run up on me, a gun in my face, showed me the picture of who they were looking for, looked absolutely nothing like me. Cuffs on. I don't have a single black male friend who hasn't had strange run-ins with the cops. The only reason I mention all of these things, even from the fact that people were angry that I would have the audacity to marry the godly white woman that I met, even down to that, the reason I share that is because it's an extra burden that I have to carry. And if you and me are going to have a real relationship and you're to love me the way that Jesus said you must, then you have to understand me. And you have to take the time to do that. We got to fight for gospel love and understanding. Experience matters. You cannot love others if you dismiss or ignore their experience. I remember talking to a Chinese sister who was about to join uh, the church I was an elder at, and we were doing a membership interview. And we asked her just how, how the services had been for her. And she began to talk about her experience with the sermons. Now, the church I was a, a member of and an elder at during that time had very dense sermons, very packed with lots of, lots of stuff. And she said, I really have trouble following the sermons. I have to go back and listen to them a few times. And there are other Chinese sisters I get together when we talk about it. And that was a light bulb moment for me, understanding her experience in the life of our church. And that dramatically changed the way that I interacted with other Chinese brothers and sisters in our church who had only been in the States for years and thinking about how to love them and care for them as an elder in this church. That changed the game for me. But if I hadn't heard that from her and sought to understand her, I couldn't have tried to love her and her brothers and sisters in the same way. We have to seek that understanding. And only the gospel can produce the kind of sacrificial love that labors to do that. Solution number three, don't assume it's easy. I mean, this is the problem with assuming there's not much racial tension anymore, is we we can assume this kind of unity that we're striving for is easy. Diversity in our churches, in our world, it's a very beautiful thing. And when someone comes into the church, as our brother just talked about, we want them to see a kind of diversity that they don't see in the world because it gives them a glimpse of the glory of the gospel. It helps them to see this is not a gathering of people who all just joined around because they all like guitar music or because they like drums. But they gathered around because the Lord Jesus has a universal call that all of us can uh, trust in and accept. There's something unique here, and it's beautiful when that's able to be displayed in a body. So diversity is a beautiful thing, but it's not easy. Any church, every church has issues because we're sinners, even if everybody was basically exactly the same person. Even if a church was all made up of 25-year-old black dudes who like Kanye West, there's still going to be issues because all of y'all are sinners. But when we start to bring sinners from all different kind of backgrounds and presuppositions and issues and hurt and brokenness, there's going to be some rub and it's going to be difficult to love one another and to be unified. And if we're going to fight for this, we really have to fight for it and remember that it is going to be difficult. Scripture is not unaware of this conflict. We see it very clearly in Acts 6 in early church divisions among racial lines. Scripture's not oblivious to this when it calls us to love one another. It just calls us to fight through it. So in light of the fact that it's hard to end, I just want to throw out some tips for fighting for this kind of reconciliation and some unity just from what I've seen, not by any means an exhaustive list. So number one, in your fight, in your relationships, in your church, and in your community, 
few tips. Number one, don't treat people who are different too differently. So their differences are not primary. So what's primary is our unity in Jesus. We have a lot more in common than we do different. I mean, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's in all. I mean, we have a lot more. The same spirit of God dwells in us. Don't treat people who are different too different. I remember a professor at the Bible college that I went to. I would see him say what's up to all kinds of students. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Hey, great to see you, Matt. What's up, dog? And I'm like... Now, sir, I'm going to just leave it at that. Number two, (laughs) number two, don't assume stereotypes. Okay, don't assume stereotypes. Ethnic groups, age groups, you know, there are some things that typically happen in some ethnic groups and age groups and so forth and so on. But all of these groups are made up of individuals. People's experiences are different, right? So I remember people be like, so what was it like growing up in the hood? I was like, I actually grew up in the suburbs, bro. <laughs> like, there are individuals. So it's good to be aware of what are going to be cultural differences, but we have to treat people like individuals. So some stereotypes are funny and harmless, but others become offensive. So we have to get to know one another as individuals. Number three, try not to flock to people who look like you all the time, right? This is not high school in the lunchroom. I remember I went to this private school and all the black dudes sat at, sat at a lunch table together freestyling because we all just kind of like the same stuff and flock together. And we can easily do that among the church. We cannot do that. We have a deeper unity than that. We have to fight against flocking towards people who are like this. So sometimes after church, just go purposely talk to somebody who doesn't look like you and invite them over for dinner and get to know them. It's very simple. But we cannot, if we don't push for those relationships, if we're not intentional about it, we cannot get to know one another in a way that will help us to love each other. Number four, intentionally look to understand people. Go deep relationally. Ask questions. Listen carefully and sympathize with people's unique experiences. And even if you're skeptical of something someone says, before dismissing it, listen to them and seek to understand especially with a lot of the racial issues going on, this would have helped some dialogue to be a lot more helpful. Number five, persevere through difficulties and growing pains. Diversity is hard, especially when we're talking about race or ethnicity, right? So always assume the best. There's going to be some tense and awkward conversations. If we're actually going to ask questions and get to know and understand, it's going to be hard. So, for example, sometimes they're going to be white brothers and sisters who want to understand black brothers and sisters better, and you're going to have to ask some awkward questions. You're going to have to risk being embarrassed, even risk offending someone. You want to make sure they know they love you and ask questions. And some of us black brothers and sisters, we can't be so easily offended all the time. So what do you think about this? You think I speak for every black person ever? Like, you you got, we got to give one another room to grow and to understand. We got to be gracious enough to do that. There are going to be sometimes when somebody says something that is slightly offensive, but you got to understand their intentions are good. They're trying to understand. They're working towards unity. And if we're, all of us are so easily offended or so scared to ask each other's questions, we're never going to have any real lasting unity. We'll have shallow kind of unity. And don't give up when it's hard. I'm running out of time, so I'll run through the last ones very quickly. You should ask yourself if you have assumptions about other races, ages, and socioeconomic groups. 
Ask yourself if you have unfair assumptions, if you're putting things on groups of people. Ask yourself and try to fight against that. We have to keep the conversation going, especially those of us who are pastors, leaders in our churches. If we're not having good conversations about these things, we won't think about it and we won't be very intentional. I'm not saying make the goal of your church uh, different races liking each other. I'm just saying we have to talk about how it's a very clear implication of the gospel. If we don't, we're going to run into the danger of continuing to assume that this isn't a problem anymore. Lastly, meditate on Scripture and pray God will give you a passion for unity. This is not a vision that we made up because we're progressive. This is a vision that God has had in Scripture from the beginning of time. Meditate on Scripture and pray that God will give you a passion for that unity. But remember that only the gospel can produce that kind of sacrificial love and unity. And we want to put that gospel on display for the world to see. Because in an age, in a day and time where it's more polarized, more divided than ever, God's word is sufficient. But God has given us his church and our love for one another is a little illustration of his word and an illustration of his gospel and a picture of what happens when that gospel grabs a hold of the hearts of sinners. We have a chance to display that diversity and unity and reconciliation is an amazing way to be able to do that. So we're not looking for just blacks and whites in the same room. We want blacks and whites in the same family through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the unity that you purchased on the cross through the work of your son. Father, and we pray you would give us a very deep passion for that. Help us to work towards that. Help us to love your gospel that produces that. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. Be sure to subscribe for the most up-to-date episodes. For more information on racial reconciliation, visit ERLC.com.